And please turn with me uh, back in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18. Second Samuel 18, and picking up our reading at verse 19, and then reading into chapter 19. <clears throat> then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king, that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son? seeing that you will have no reward for the news. Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, And the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man running alone. The king said, He also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, Good news from my lord, the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, And all who rise up against you for evil, be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. 
And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. John Woodhouse asks a very good question. He asks the question, which principle would you prefer to prevail in human relationships? Love or justice? And if we were going to answer that question, if you were going to answer that question, you might find yourself saying, well, it depends. Especially if you are the one that is at fault. Uh, In that case, you might like love to be the governing principle of human relationships. But we might find ourselves, upon reflection, thinking to ourselves that a a situation in which uh, love is not realized is intolerable. If simply righteousness and judgment is brought against wrongdoing, we would find ourselves uncomfortable with what that would mean for ourselves and our own wrongdoing. At the same time, if we contemplated a situation where love always prevails over justice, then we might also find ourselves uncomfortable with what that would mean, where there's never judgment brought against, there's never justice for the wrongs that are being done. Even when we think about court cases, when a judge gives a a decision on a matter, the question that emerges is one of, did justice get served today? Or was the judgment too soft? And so initially there becomes this tension between these two principles. How is it that justice is going to be established? Or how is it that love can be realized in a given situation? And we might find ourselves being pulled and tugged at in our hearts in different directions on any given matter. And as we turn back in the book of Samuel this evening, we want to see that we are looking at a situation that might seem to be an impossible one. In one sense, you could see this as an impossible situation because the king is running for his life. He's had to flee from his own capital of Jerusalem. He has to flee because his own son is trying to kill him. That he is trying to strike him down in order to become the king himself. It's an impossible situation because not only has his own son betrayed him and conspiring to kill him. But the men of Israel have in large measure given their support to him. 
It told us that the men of Israel, their hearts were stolen after Absalom. And so now his own nation has betrayed him as well. And in one sense then, it could look like it's an impossible situation for David to ever recover. He's lost the throne. He's lost the the respect and the unity in his family. He's lost his nation. But it's an impossible situation, not just on that level. It's an impossible situation because what does David really want to see happen? What is the ideal that David is really hoping for? And as he looks at the situation around him, he has his men who are willing to go to battle on his behalf. But they are going to be fighting with his own son. And so David is in this this situation where justice would demand one thing. And yet his love is pulling him in a different direction. And this evening, we are, as we're looking at what happens to Absalom, we are seeing the tension of these two principles. Which is it that will win out? And we want to look at the longing of David in the midst of all of this. There are a lot of things happening in this point in David's life. But we simply want to zero in on the longing of David. What is it that David wants to see happen? And we want to think about the longing that was expressed by David. And then we want to see how that longing was ultimately frustrated. And we want to see that through all of this, uh, the tension between uh, judgment and mercy. And so first we want to think about the longing uh, that is expressed. It tells us uh, that David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and of hundreds. You remember that when Absalom came into the city, Ahithophel told him, that if you're going to strike down David, you have to strike while the iron is hot. You need to strike him tonight before he has a chance to regroup and to recover. But Absalom ultimately was given over to uh, his own vanity. He was given over to the uh, foolish counsel of Hushai that told him to wait. And now enough time has passed for David to regroup. The time of weeping has ended. And now David is uh, setting his men in motion to prepare for this battle that is inevitable to come. And we're told that he set his supporters into three groups, which would have been a typical military strategy in those times. And he sets a third under Joab, a third under Joab's brother, and a third under Ite, the foreigner. And these men are to be the the commanders of David's uh, uh, servants, David's supporters, as they go out uh, to fight. But in the midst of this, David himself wants to go. But you remember that they object to that and they say, you can't because your life is worth 10,000 of ours. They don't want us. They want you, David. And if they get you, they win. And so they plead with David not to go into battle. In other words, they're using the exact same logic that Ahithophel was giving. This is a one-man target. But David here listens to their logic whereas Absalom doesn't. And so David abstains from going out into battle. He is going to take a passive role into what is about to transpire. He's not at the forefront. He can't resolve this himself. And so in this battle that is going to take place, he does what his counselors uh, tell him to. And so they are going to fight on his behalf. But as this is all taking place, David gives them one order as the king. And in verse 5, David tells them the order. 
uh, he says uh, to them, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. What is the king's command to his army? It is that they would deal gently with Absalom. In other words, that they would spare his life. You must protect him. You must not kill him, is what the king is commanding. That's a very clear command. It's, in fact, a very moving command that David is giving for someone that is wanting to have him dead. David tells them not to kill Absalom. It is a command that we can understand as a father, but it is a command that is also problematic as a king. But that's the tension, isn't it? As the king, David has a responsibility to uphold righteousness. Absalom is a traitor. He's committed treason against his king. He's a murderer. Justice demands that Absalom be put to death. But as a father, David loves his son. And these two things are pulling in different directions. And so we can understand David's clear command as it is given uh, to the men. David knew what judgment uh, justice deserved. He knew that Absalom uh, deserved death. But David's love is brought out here and asking for gentleness to be shown to Absalom. And you notice here that in, in expressing this command, he explains why. He says, deal gently with Absalom for my sake. Not because Absalom deserves it. Not because he's a good man. But he says, do it from your commitment to me. Because he belongs to me. And so in all of this, the longing of a father is coming out to show love to his son. But there's also the longing uh, that is frustrated in this chapter. As much as David longs for Absalom to be spared, David's longing is going to be frustrated. And it's going to be frustrated ultimately through the efforts of Joab who is determined to bring judgment against this man. And so what we are told in the verses following six and following, we are told about the battle that ensues. But it's really not about the battle. It tells us very quickly that that day 20,000 men died. But then it moves beyond that to the narrative of what is going on with Absalom. It tells us that Absalom at some point came in contact with the men of Israel. He was riding his regal animal, the mule. And as he was no doubt fleeing from them, he's probably looking back at his pursuers, uh, trying to understand where they are coming at him from. And it tells us that as a result, uh, he came in, uh, and hit uh, a great oak and his head was caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth. It's commonly uh, thought that Absalom's hair may have become entangled, that the very thing that uh, he was so vain about uh, is his very undoing. But it's not clear in the text that it's his hair that becomes entangled. It could very easily have been that his neck got uh, uh, caught, forked between the branches of the oak as well. But however it happens, we're told uh, that he becomes suspended uh, between heaven and earth. And he may have even been unconscious from contact with this oak. But while this happens, one of David's men sees it. Uh, and he goes and reports to the commander, Joab. 
He reports it because he too heard the command, the crystal clear command of the king to protect Absalom's life. When Joab hears that he let him uh, be spared, he didn't do anything initially. Joab was angry with him. And he told him, why didn't you do this? I would have rewarded you. But the man appeals and says he knows the, the king's command. And he also knows that Joab wouldn't have stood by him if he was interrogated before the king. He would have left him to the king's wrath. And so there's a, a sting in that rebuke to Joab. But Joab isn't interested in hearing this man out. And instead, he takes three staffs or three javelins. Uh, and he goes and he strikes down Absalom. And then his armor bearers ultimately kill him. This collective effort then uh, prevents any one person from being responsible for the death of Absalom. It is a united effort uh, of these people in killing Absalom. But all of this then, uh, Joab then calls off the battle and he restrains his men. Because like Ahithophel, this was a one-man target. And that what he wants is ultimately peace in the nation. Just as Ahithophel, uh, Joab then, was interested in only restoring peace. Absalom, though, is then put into a pit and he is uh, buried under a great heap of stones. And the narrative goes on to tell us that during his lifetime, Absalom had set up a pillar, a monument to himself, something of his remembrance, something to highlight his greatness. But in the end, another monument eclipses that pillar. Instead, a monument of his burial is what he'll be remembered for. And he won't be remembered for any greatness. He will be remembered as a rebel. He will be remembered as someone who committed treason. The, the rushed burial here under a heap of stones is the treatment that an Israelite would give to an enemy. It is the treatment an Israelite would give to a great sinner. He's not treated as a royal son. And in fact, his end, the way he is remembered, is as one who is rejected by his people. And so all of this is telling us about the abrupt end of Absalom's efforts. A man who aspired to greatness uh, ultimately is struck down. And so uh, this longing of David for mercy to be shown to Absalom is frustrated. But this longing is also something that David has to hear himself. And in verses 19 and following, it tells us about the report that comes to David. Ahimaaz asks to go and to carry the news to David. Ahimaaz, you remember, is the son of a priest. He was the one who told David about Absalom's plans and how David had to flee. Ahimaaz was someone who had risked his life in his loyalty to David. And now that, now that they've won in a battle, he wants to have the privilege of bringing good news. In fact, this, this is the language of gospel here. When the translators would take the Hebrew and translate it into Greek, they would use that language of carry the news. Let me be the messenger who tells the message. They were saying, this is gospel. What is gospel? It is news of momentous significance. It is news of victory, oftentimes in battle. It is news that brings the realization of their hopes. And so Ahimaaz is saying, let me go and tell gospel to David. Let me tell him the good news that we've won. 
that there's been victory over our enemies. That the Lord has delivered us from our enemies. That language there in verse 19 when it says that the, king, that the Lord has delivered him from his enemies. That word delivered means to judge. It means to set things right that were wrong. Things that were out of order are now being put back in order. And so Ahimaaz realizes this is, this is good what has happened. Our enemies have been struck down. God's judgment has come against them. It is victory. It means peace. And so he's enthralled. He's excited. He wants to tell the king what has happened. But Joab knows the situation will be looked at very different by David once he finds out what has really happened. Joab denies his request because he knows that David is concerned about Absalom and tells him another day you will tell the message, but not this time. And so he sends a Cushite with that responsibility. But Ahimaaz is persistent. He, he still sees this is something that needs to be told. This is something worthy of proclaiming. He wants to tell. And so he persists, and eventually Joab lets him go. And even though he starts off second, and he's going to take a, more, uh, a longer route to get back to David. He arrives there first because he has a, an excitement in telling this message. This is a message worthy of telling. And so he comes to David with the news. As he comes to David, he announces peace. The first words that he says as he's approaching is all is well or shalom. Peace is what is the message. He tells them that God has brought judgment on his enemies. But David's concern is on Absalom. Is it well with the young man Absalom? Commentators differ as to Ahimaaz's response here. Did Ahimaaz know more than he's letting on? Some think that Ahimaaz was taken aback by David's question. Uh, but it's much more natural to take Ahimaaz here as simply responding to the trumpet blow. That he heard victory. He saw that they had overwhelmed their enemies and that this is the message that he is bringing. He didn't see Absalom dying. And so he has no news to report on Absalom, which is part of perhaps why he sees it as such good news. But David is concerned. And so when he, a second, uh, the Cushite comes, he asks for the Cushite's report. And he says, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you be like that young man. The Cushite leaves no doubt. Absalom is dead. It tells us then in verse 33 that the king was deeply moved. He was shaken and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. If the book of Samuel was simply a history book, it could have told this in just one sentence. Absalom died and David grieved. But the chronicler, the, the book of Samuel, spends 20 times that length to describe David hearing the news of Absalom's death. 
because it wants us to enter into David's grief. It wants us to see and to be confronted with David wrestling with what has transpired. That what David is wrestling with is the frustration of not being able to save his son from judgment. And David here weeps over the turnout. In other words, it's not just about judgment. It's not just about justice prevailing. But we're seeing this tension point in David that he longs for love to also have been established. And in this situation, David is torn by what has transpired. David's words have been understood in a variety of ways. Some have seen David as going overboard in his grief. But what is clear is is that he had a genuine love for his son. Even in the estrangement, David still loved his son. As one person has said, this episode in the history of David's kingdom is a powerful display of the problem that David's kingdom could not resolve. David is a sinner, and so are his sons. That David cannot establish justice and love. Justice demanded one thing, and David's love longed for something else. And so David here is crying out, would that I had died instead of you. That David is aching for his son, for his rebellion, for where sin ultimately leads, and how he was powerless to stop it. In this whole chapter, David is passive. It's other people taking initiative. David can't fix this. And instead, it is rolling out of his grasp. And this is what sin does. And David is left with simply grief. He's the king of Israel. And yet he is also the suffering king. He is a king who can't set things right. But David's words here also anticipate what the son of David himself would be marked by. The promised king, the promised Messiah, when he would come, was described as one who would be a suffering king. He would be marked by a man of sorrows. He would be acquainted with grief. But it wouldn't be because of his own sin. It would be because of our sins. He carried our sorrows. He carried our sins. He bore our shame. And in that sense, he becomes a man of sorrows. And ultimately, he would lay down his life for his sheep. But what he would do in that process is is that he would establish justice and love. The two things that we long for in human relationships, the things that we long for in this world, is order and for love. We want things to be right, but we also want to show compassion. But we are not able to establish these things ourselves. Even David is frustrated that he can't do it. But they anticipate one who can. Because Jesus' words are picked up here from David. That he was willing to die in the place of others. David said the words, would that I had died in your place. Jesus embodies that. 
Because Jesus came in and he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He laid down his life in order that the justice of God would be satisfied. But in laying down his life, we see the love of God as well in bringing salvation from sin. And we see these two things coming together. That's what Paul celebrates in Romans. He says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have been justified, the justice of God is satisfied by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. You see, in Jesus, those two principles we long for are realized. Neither is compromised. Both are established. That Jesus comes to fulfill God's will and to bring salvation. The good news is, is that God has judged sin through the son of David. Jesus' death pays the penalty of sin. And through it, we see the love of God towards sinners. And so the Bible teaches us to see both of these things as being established. Which would we prefer? Simply love, permission, forbearance? Or would we rather strict judgment? We would long for both. That righteousness would prevail but also that we would live under the mercy of God. And we see these things in Jesus Christ. When Ahimaaz came to David, he came carrying news, news that he declared to be gospel. Let me tell gospel to David. His gospel was victory over his enemies. It meant peace for David's reign. But ultimately, again, the prophets would take this language and say, the good news is something even greater than that. That Isaiah the prophet would speak about how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of them who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publish salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. Who declare peace with God, who declare joy in the Lord, who declare salvation because God reigns. When you think about what the gospel is, what is this message that we are entrusted with? It is salvation from sin, victory over sin because it has been condemned in the cross. It is the joy of God's forgiveness. And that's a message that is worthy of all people hearing. Have you yourself heard this? Are you believing in that message yourself? Or are you simply carrying on with life as though it's a message that has no consequences? That you can simply live your life as though this message is not momentous. Ahimaaz was willing to travel over the plains simply to tell the king peace. We should long to hear a message that tells us peace with our God. To know that our king has prevailed in his battle. To know that he was willing to lay down his life so that we might be saved. Are you believing in that? Are you cherishing a message from God 
Are you someone that realizes the longings of our heart will not be realized apart from God himself? Love and justice are not opposed. They're met in the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over uh, the experience of David, that we would see uh, the longings of David's heart, the tension uh, existing uh, between dealing with sin, but also desiring that grace would be shown, knowing that David himself received grace and his desire that Absalom too uh, would be protected. Lord, we pray that we would see in Christ a Savior who has brought uh, righteousness and peace together. And we pray that we would see the longings of our heart uh, can be uh, satisfied in him. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen.